I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. That's how our psalm begins this morning. And I wonder if you were glad when your alarm clock said to you, it's time to get up and go to the house of the Lord. Maybe it was a little earlier this morning because you knew you had to give yourself a little extra time uh, to drive and be, be safe along the way. I wonder if you are glad to go to the house of the Lord. I wonder if you are as glad to go to the house of the Lord each Lord's Day, each Sunday, as one Yankees fan was excited for opening day back in 2010. Listen to what she uh, wrote back in 2010. She says she uh, follows the Yankees religiously, and as she prepared for opening day, she, she said these words, and ask yourself as I read them, do I have this kind of passion for gathering with God's people on the Lord's day? She writes... Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Yankees fans from all over the world, the 2010 Yankees baseball season has finally arrived. After a very long and boring winter, we're finally back to cheering our boys on. The months became weeks, the weeks became days, and now we're counting down the hours and minutes until the first pitch of the 2010 season. My heart is racing, my hands are shaking, my body can barely contain my excitement. Yankees baseball is back. How did we survive without it? We are the fans of the New York Yankees. Baseball is our passion. Baseball is our life. We don't follow baseball, we live it. We don't squeeze the Yankees into our days. We fit our days into the Yankees' schedule. From the first week of April until the first week of November, we eat, sleep, drink, breathe, live Yankees baseball. Fans of the New York Yankees, the greatest fans on earth, I salute you. What do you think? Are you, do you have that same kind of passion for Sunday, the Lord's Day, that that young woman had for the opening day of Yankees baseball? Do you look forward to the worship of the living God like that each week? Do you, do you look after, do you seek to protect, pray for, promote the worship of the living God? That's what Psalm 122 is about. It's about looking forward to and looking after the worship of God. In fact, if I had to summarize the message of Psalm 122, the, the psalm we're going to look at together this morning, in a single sentence, then that would be it. Look forward to and look after the worship of God. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 122 if you haven't already. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, I think you can find the passage on page 517. 517 Psalm 122. Now, when you arrive at Psalm 122, you'll likely notice two things. First, that it was written by David. This is uh, a psalm of, of David. And second, you'll notice that it's situated among the Psalms of Ascent. These are the 15 psalms that we are beginning to look at here in this short series. These were songs that pilgrims sang on their way up to Jerusalem three times a year for the annual feasts prescribed in the law of Moses. Now, so far in the Psalms of Ascent, they begin at 120. We started there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they, they begin in Psalm 120 with the, the pilgrim uh, weary of living in a world of lies. And he needs to get on the roads to go and meet with God. That's where he can find peace. That's what Psalm 120 was about. And then Psalm 121, the pilgrim appears to be on the road. And he is purposing to keep his eyes on the Lord because he knows that it's the Lord who will keep him safe. That's what we've looked at so far together in the Psalms of Ascent. And let's take a look now as the pilgrim continues the journey by looking at Psalm 122. Follow along there as I read Psalm 122. A song of ascents of David. 
I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord Yahweh. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord Yahweh, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord Yahweh. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord Yahweh our God, I will seek your good. Well, I hope you can see how in the first half of the psalm, the psalmist is explaining how he he looks forward to the worship of God in the city of Jerusalem. And he even marvels at the city itself. And then that's verses kind of 1 to 5. And then the second half of the psalm, verses 6 to 9, you see how he looks after the worship of God by by praying for it and seeking to promote peace in the city. Well, we're going to look at this psalm uh, in in those two sections, under those two headings. Look forward to the worship of God. That's verses 1 to 5. And secondly, look after the worship of God, verses 6 to 9. Let's look at this psalm, beginning there with that first heading. And, And now setting our minds on looking forward See if you can see how in verses 1 to 5 he really is looking forward. Let me read those verses for us again. David writes, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that has been bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones the house of David. Well, here David, he shares his gladness in going to God's house for worship. And remember that pilgrims, they would travel three times a year to the city of Jerusalem for these prescribed feasts. And here, there's a picture of one being invited by other pilgrims to to join him along the way, to join them on the journey. Those looking forward to worship are inviting others to join them in worship. So do you, do you look forward to worship? Do you invite others to join you in worship? There's a good lesson that we can learn from this psalm here. These pilgrims, remember, they would leave behind their homes, their farmlands, their livestock, their wealth, and their sustenance for the worship of God. Who knows what would become of their homes and livestock and farmlands while they were away? They would entrust everything to the Lord as they went and left them. Some would have to travel for two weeks or so just to get to Jerusalem. Are are we ready to obey the Lord God and join Him in worship and trust everything to Him? I've been so encouraged how you as a congregation have done that even this morning, trusting your safety to the Lord and gathering with God's people. You've been so obedient and faithful. Now, in, in David's day, his destination was the tabernacle, which was the called the house of the Lord. Uh, Even in David's day, it was called that. The tabernacle was that, called in Joshua and 1 Samuel. Then David's uh, David's son Solomon would later build the temple. And Israelite pilgrims, when they began their journey going to the temple, they would make good use of this psalm as well. David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we learn, would become the fulfillment of all that God intended in the house of the Lord. In John 1, we learn that Jesus was the one who tabernacled among us in a house of flesh. And then in John 2, which our community group will study together, Lord willing, on Tuesday night, 
uh, Jesus, he tells his hearers that he's the fulfillment of the temple. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus, of course, he was referring to the temple of his body. Jesus is the fulfillment of that house that's been pictured from the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, to the tabernacle, to later the temple. And the reason why we don't go to Jerusalem anymore is because Jesus fulfilled all that was intended to take place there at that house. There, God, in the tabernacle and temple, He intended to to meet with His people. And the only way in which they could do it was through a sacrifice. And Jesus was, of course, that sacrifice. He he offered Himself as a sacrifice for sins, the the Lamb who would take away the sins of the world. And so now, as, as William so wonderfully pointed out to us this morning in our preparation for reading John 4, uh, Jesus is, is, no, is the place and the person to where we give our worship and come for worship. That's why he uh, said to that woman from Samaria, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So true worship is linked to God's true house. And Jesus is God's true house. Christian, this is why you should look forward to worshiping with God's people. Because you get to meet with a high heavenly and holy God who forgave your sins in Jesus Christ. And it's why you should invite others to join you in worship too. Can you believe that the holy God loves and accepts you because of Jesus Christ? He forgives all of your sins because of Jesus Christ. Can you believe that He has made a way for you to meet with Him? This is good news. So come, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us go to Jesus And rejoice that our sins are forgiven. Let us be glad in our going to church. I don't know how many times I've actually stood at that back door. And somebody has said to me, you know, Mike, I I almost didn't come today. But I'm glad that I did. It it, it must have happened dozens and dozens of times. I've had that conversation. You know, you are here this week. Maybe consider inviting someone to join you next week. Who knows, afterward, they might just say to you, I I was glad to go to church with you. That might just be the case. Let's learn the lesson from this psalm that those who go to worship and are looking forward to worship, invite others to join them as well. And there are so many good reasons to look forward to worship. We actually see a number of them in verses 2 to 5. We see there that we look forward to worship really because we recall the past joy that we had in worship. It It reminds us of the joy we've had. God is with us in our worship each Lord's Day. And that should bring us joy as we expectantly look forward to worshiping in His presence again. In verse 2, David, he, he reminisces on his past visits to Jerusalem. You see there, he writes, Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Now it's possible that these words refer to the, the pilgrim's actual presence there in Jerusalem as if he's looking at the city at that moment. But I'm persuaded by one of uh, Mr. Spurgeon's suggestions, one of the suggestions he offered. He wrote, the, the pilgrims felt so sure of getting there that they antedated the joy and spoke as if they were already there, though they were as yet on the road. It's, just, it's as if David, is, he's been there before and he looks forward to his return. It's like he's bringing past joy right there into the present. Uh, this is what my, my kids do when we go on family vacation each year. They pile into the car. Uh, they yell at mom and dad, come on, it's time to get going already. And then when we get on the road, they begin to think about, do you, do you remember the place we stay at? Do you remember how big the fish were that we caught? Uh, do, you, do you remember that place we go to get that funnel cake? I, I've got that bedroom and you've got that bed. 
they begin thinking about this as if they're already there. Right? That's what's happening with, with David. He's recalling the, the joy of past worship in Jerusalem. And he expects his next trip or his present arrival there to bring him joy too. And as David remembers Jerusalem and the past joy that it brought him, he remembers the city itself. It's a, it's a glorious city, a, a well-built city, a city that is bound firmly together. Do you see that phrase there? Now, this is, um, this is a well-built city. It's probably true on a, a number of levels. Uh, David might be thinking about the walls that surround Jerusalem, but more than likely, he's thinking of the people of Jerusalem. After all, there, his mind moves to the people of the city there in verse 4. And this is another reason that we look forward to worship. Because of the, the fellowship that we will have with God's people there. I love being with you brothers and sisters in worship. And, and I like you too. And so I like to talk to you afterwards as well. We have the joy and privilege of fellowship together. And if this is a city that's bound firmly together, then it's a, a city that's united in heart and mind. People are, are not only compact numerically. That's what that idea of bound firmly together might mean. You know, kind of a, a compacting in a city, people are not only uh, kind of compacted numerically, but they're also compacted physically, right? In community as well, where rich fellowship flows between them. And really, this is what we want for our church family. We want God to compact us, to, to bind us firmly together in, in heart and soul, to push us into one another, to deepen our friendships and our fellowship, to strengthen our bonds so that they're not easily broken by small slights and sins or disagreements over things that are not fundamental to our faith and fellowship. Pray that we would be a church that's compact, that's bound firmly together. And, and I think we're seeing so much of that as uh, many of you so often hang around after the service and talk for nearly an, after, uh, an hour afterwards, having fellowship with one another. I think God is pushing us into one another in good and glorious ways. Why should you look forward to worship? Well, because there's fellowship with God's people there. And notice how David tells us that the tribes go up. You see that they're the tribes of the Lord. Tribes of the Lord really originally referred to the 12 tribes of Israel as they were uh, constituted. But now, under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the tribes of the Lord Jesus are people from every tongue and tribe and nation. Jesus told His disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And they obeyed. God's worshipers have grown from one people group to all the people groups of the world. And it's encouraging to think that we have people from various backgrounds from all over the world. And we gather here not because we are of this tribe or of that tribe, but because we're of Jesus' tribe. Uh, we, we gather here, we do not gather here because we're from the tribe in the Philippines or from Mexico or Botswana or Brazil or China or Singapore or Israel or India or England or some strange land called Texas. No, though we may be from all of those tribes, we gather here because we are from the tribe of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fundamentally a part of His tribe, a, a people who were chosen to belong to Jesus before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul tells us that believers were chosen in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. Before you were ever born, or the earth was formed, you belonged to Jesus, Christian. In time and in space, He sought you and He bought you with His redeeming blood. And if we are to preserve our unity, if we're to remain 
firmly bound together as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we must remember that our membership in Jesus' tribe is first in time, because we were chosen in before the world began, and first in importance. Your membership in the tribe of Jesus is more important than your membership in any other earthly tribe. And that's not to say that your membership in another tribe is unimportant, or that your life experience growing up is unimportant. It's just to say that your membership in the tribe of Jesus is of first importance. Our ethnic differences and diversity brings glory to God. He made all of us in His image, equal in dignity, worth, and value in God's sight. And at the same time, our, our ethnic differences and diversity, they cannot be a source of division among us. For Ephesians 2 tells us that Jesus tore down the walls of hostility between His people and joined us together in Himself. Jesus has reconciled us to God by the blood of His cross, thereby killing the hostility. Ephesians 2.16 So when, when we go up to worship, we go up as people from different earthly tribes who first belong to the eternal tribe of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our worship and fellowship is enriched by our background. But it's established, it's secured, and it's sustained by Christ's blood. Look forward to worship because we have fellowship in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's another reason to look forward to worship. And it, it might surprise you. We look forward to worship because God decreed it. Do you see that there in verse 4? The tribes of the Lord go up because it was decreed for Israel. Now this is a, a reference to it being kind of mandated in the law of Moses. Israel was commanded by God to come to worship. This is no less true for us as Christians. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 gives us a decree. It tells us, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God's decree is our delight because His decrees are for our good, even our joy and our gladness. If we give ourselves to obeying God's decrees, we will be filled, I think, with joy and gladness. I don't think that we can be a holy and happy people if we are disobeying God. What is more, if we have a kind of a, a reluctant attitude, we often do have a, a reluctant attitude of, ah, I have to go to church. It's true. Uh, you do have to go to church, but you also get to go to church. Your duty is your delight. That's what God intends for it to be. And this gets at the next reason we look forward to worship. Can you spot it there at the end of verse 4? We look forward to worship because the Lord is worthy of thanks. The Lord is worthy of your thanks, Christian. You have so much to thank God for. He made you in His image. He has sustained your life to this day. And more than that, He gave His one and only most beloved Son to live and die and be raised from the grave for the forgiveness of your sins. He is worthy of your thanks and you get to give it. There's a difference between I have to go to church and I get to go to church and still I have to go to church because I need to give God thanks for His mercy and grace because my heart is bursting forth with thanksgiving for the goodness and grace of God. I, I have to tell the world and my brothers and sisters in Christ that I have a wonderful and merciful Savior. Do you remember how that, that Yankee fan um, 
said that her excitement could barely be contained. That, that should be true of our thanks to God. That our hearts are so full of gratitude to God that it cannot be contained, that we, we have to go to worship. I think that this may call for some adjustments to our, our lives as believers. Increasingly, our, our world and culture and society will call us to give up the public worship of God on the Lord's Day. Our world wants us to take our kids to swim, and soccer, and baseball, and basketball, or track on the Lord's Day. But we need to be Christian families before we're swim families, or soccer families, or basketball, or track families. And that will mean that sometimes we're going to need to say to our teammates and our coaches, you know, I, I can't be there on Sunday. I have to go to church. Not just because God commands it, but because my heart is so full of thanks for what He's done for me in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, do you want to come with me to church on Sunday? I think we might need to start saying some of the things to our, our teammates and families and children. Let me encourage you to be those who stiffen the spines of your parents and share with them your heart's desire. Mom and Dad, I, I know that our coach or our league is scheduled a game on Sunday, but I just want you to know I really want to worship with God's people on Sunday. I want, to, I want to go to Sunday school and learn from God's Word about the Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead and encourage your parents in that way. Tell them your heart's desire is to gather and be with God's people. And if, and if I could just be a little more pushy and perhaps step on a few more toes while we're at it, we might need to start saying a few different things to our family and friends too. Maybe, maybe we'll say, you know, I'd really rather not take you to the airport on Sunday morning or pick you up on the airport from Sunday morning. I have to go to church, not just because God commands it, because my, my heart's so full of thanks. Any way that you could schedule a later flight uh, and you could join me for worship at church or, or any way you could come in a little earlier, that way you could join for church or do you want to just take an uber straight from the airport to here to worship with god's people we'd, we'd be delighted if you would gather with us for worship um, maybe even some of us need to have conversations with, if, if we're able to with our employers uh, you know i am willing to give you six days of the week six days shall you labor um, but I'd, I'd love to gather with god's people on on sunday morning is, is there any way uh, that, that I could just carve out that time to gather with God's people and, and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? Here is a note from my pastor where he talks about our church's statement of faith and tells us, explains how this is in the Bible and our, our Christian belief. And actually, I have written notes for members of our congregation before to give to their bosses to, to explain to them uh, that, that this is what we do on Sunday. We gather to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. If you need a note, you just reach out to me. I'll be happy to write you one, a note for your pastor. But, you know, our, our hearts ought to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, remember how that, um, that Yankees fan said that we don't squeeze the Yankees into our days. We fit our days into the Yankees' schedule. Do you hear the, the gravitational pull of that statement? How the Yankees are at the center of their life? What if we recast that in a Christian vision? What if we said, we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Christ and His church is our passion. Christ and His church is our life. We don't squeeze Christ and His church into our days. We fit our days into the schedule of Christ and His church. If we are to live distinctly Christian 
lives under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then we, we should endeavor to give the Lord's Day to the one who is the Lord, Jesus Christ. And it's our joy, publicly giving thanks to the God who saved a wretch like me. And I think that you've given a, even a wonderful testimony to this neighborhood this morning to show your, your dedication and, and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ that you, you love to worship Him. We should look forward to worship for another reason. In verse 5, you see it there? Because God's rule is set forth. In Jerusalem, you see there in verse 5, in Jerusalem, their thrones for judgment were set. The thrones of the house of David. As, a, as one scholar pointed out, beginning with David, the king of Israel in Jerusalem provided the courts of justice. So through David's house, David's kingly line was to bring justice. The pilgrim looked forward to making it to Jerusalem because there justice was done. And wherever justice prevails, joy prevails. But the justice done in Jerusalem and in David's day, it pointed to the justice and righteousness found in the reign of David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah, he prophesied about that day. In Isaiah 16 verse 5, he said that one day a throne will be established in steadfast love and on it will sit in faithfulness the tent of David, the one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. As we learn from subsequent scriptures, Jesus... David's greater son is the tent of David. That's what James says in Acts chapter 15, verse 16. That Jesus is the tent, the restored tent of David that happened in his resurrection. And now he's reigning, as we know from the scriptures, he's reigning at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus rules from that throne in glory. But he expresses his rule and reign in Christian worship. As God's word is held forth and proclaimed. As we gather together... We hear God's judgment that all men everywhere ought to turn from their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That their sins were judged in Christ and salvation is available to us. As we gather, we hear God's justice and righteousness set forth. What kind of lives ought we to live according to God's word and His standard of righteousness? Our gatherings are those at which God's rule is set forth in song, in sermon, and in supplication. And these gatherings, they express the just rule of Jesus Christ as the church welcomes sinners into Christ's kingdom and warns those who rebel against the great King. What is more, our assemblies, our, our embassies, if you will, are at the present imperfect expressions of the just rule and reign of Jesus. Still, they point forward to the day of Jesus' return where His perfect justice will stretch over the whole created order. We look forward to worship on the Lord's Day because in it we're reminded that there is a coming last day when the Lord Jesus Christ, the just judge of all, who will do right, will judge the living and the dead. And He will right all wrongs. And that ought to give our hearts great hope. It's good to go to the house of the Lord for worship. It's good to invite others along. We look forward to the worship of God for so many reasons. And the reality is, is that we were made for worship. We were made to worship with Christ and to worship with His church. That's what you were made for. And the truth is, is that you'll be restless until your heart rejoices in Christ and in His worship. If we were made for the worship of Christ with His church, 
then this is what we should look forward to and look after, seek to preserve. So let's turn and consider our second point. In the second half of this psalm, where we are encouraged to look after the worship of God. And by look after, I mean that we should seek to protect and pray for and promote the worship of the living God. See if you can spot that idea in verses 6 to 9. Follow along there as I read. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions sake, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. You see here, David, he encourages his fellow pilgrims and worshipers to look after the worship of God. He pleads with them to pray for the peace of Jerusalem there in verse 6. He announces a benediction of peace there in verse 7. He proclaims peace for his companions and brothers in verse 8. And he pledges to seek the good of God's house and God's people there in verse 9. And throughout these verses, I think David is saying the same thing from just different angles. He wants uh, peace for the city of worship. And he wants peace for those who come to worship. Uh, The the word for peace here is uh, shalom. And scholars are quick to point out that the the general meaning of the idea, the root behind shalom is an idea of of completion, of fulfillment, of of even being kind of a, a state of wholeness and unity. David not only prays for peace, prays for the the unity, the the wholeness, the kind of the the completion of the city, but he pleads with others to pray for it too. He he wants them to participate in the pursuit of peace so that the worship of God and the city of God um, may continue. And there's even yet another layer of this. The name of Jerusalem itself is a, a play on the idea of peace, that Salem in Jerusalem kind of means complete, prosperous, and, and peaceful. David, he, he personally promotes its peace. He prays for its peace. He wants others to pray for it too. He's, he's looking after the worship of God in the city of Jerusalem. But as you think about the history of the Bible, perhaps you remember that the sad truth is, is this, this city, it did not always know peace. It did always know peace with God. Do you remember what Jesus said about Jerusalem as he made his last pilgrimage to the city? As Jesus sang this song, probably, and came into the city, do you remember what Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 42? Jesus said, and when he drew near to the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. See, Jesus, he was grieved that the people of Jerusalem did not know peace with God. They were at war with God because they had purposed to put God's Son and Messiah to death. They, they didn't see what they were doing was rejecting Jesus as their Messiah and rejecting Him meant a declaration of war with God. They didn't see that they could actually have peace with God through Jesus. And still, even though Jesus, he walked into that hostile city, he purposed to make peace between God and men. Jesus didn't just pray for peace. He he didn't just encourage others to pursue peace. He didn't just proclaim peace. 
He also paid the price to secure peace. He purchased peace by laying down His life for men like you and me, by shedding His blood on the cross. Friend, if you're here today and you're, you're not a believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not giving your life to Jesus as Lord and living under His submission, did you know that apart from Jesus' work of peace, you know that you're at war with God? Do you realize that the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, were kicked out of the house of the Lord because they sinned against God? They declared war against God, rebelled against Him. And we have all followed in their footsteps. That's what sin is. It's rebelling against God, choosing to live our own way rather than God's way. So we're not at peace with God all on our own. We need peace with God to be made for us. And that's what Jesus came to do. That's why He came to fulfill those houses that God placed in history. The tabernacle was a reminder that all is not okay between God and man. There has to be blood shed to forgive sins. A sacrifice has to be made. And the temple was placed there too. And then Jesus came and said, I will be the one who offers that once and for all sacrifice. I will make peace by the blood of the cross. And so Jesus, He lived the life that we've not lived. He died the death that our sins deserve, bearing the punishment for our sins on the cross. And yet, three days later, God the Father raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, vindicating Him and proving to us that there can be peace between God and men if we hide ourselves in Jesus and trust in His sacrifice, His blood shed for us on the cross. Friend, do you have peace with God today? If you do, it's not through your works. It's only through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So trust in Him. Turn from your sin and find peace with God. Friend, Jesus offers you peace. Pursue it. And this is ultimately why we who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and made peace with God or received the peace of God through Jesus, this is ultimately why we seek to look after the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for peace among God's people. We seek to protect it because we not only have an interest in Jesus' house, but because we are Jesus' house. And we want that proclamation of peace to remain a clear offer to the lost world. If we do not have peace in Jesus' house, then the world will not likely believe that there really can be peace found through Jesus. Now, you might be saying to yourself, now wait a minute, Mike, you just said that we are Jesus' house. Yes, I did. That's because that's what the scriptures say. We are Jesus' house. Now, I don't know if you noticed this in Psalm 122. David, he, he mixes metaphors. He bounces back and forth. He uses Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem almost interchangeably at times. You can distinguish, it's true, you can distinguish between uh, the people of Jerusalem and Jerusalem itself in the psalm. That's true. But David, he bounces back and forth praying for Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem. The truth is that the city is not a city without a people living in the city. To pray for the peace of Jerusalem is also to pray for the people of Jerusalem. And this happens elsewhere in the scriptures too. Um, so it's no surprise that when you come to the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, that the apostle John, he mixes metaphors. He, he says at one point he sees the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And then when he sees it, he sees it adorned as a bride. 
a beautiful bride. He sees a place and a person. So again, I, I say we are Jesus' house. And as I made plain earlier, Jesus is the fulfillment of the tabernacle and temple, the Old Testament house of the Lord. But when we place our faith in Jesus and we're united to Him, so becoming one with Him, we become His house. And Jesus' apostles said as much. After Jesus ascended into heaven, His apostles began to say things like, Christians are God's temple. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, we read, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? As the Holy Spirit gives you faith in Jesus, you become the place where God is worshipped in spirit and in truth. Christian, you are God's house, not just individually, but corporately. Christians become God's house corporately. So listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, that's in the plural, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And the writer to the Hebrews, he joins in on the fun and he tells us that we're Jesus' house. Listen to Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6. And we are His house. That's Jesus' house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Christians individually and corporately are God's house. They're the place where God is worshipped. And together, we are to look after the worship of God. So, how might we apply the, the latter half of this psalm to our lives? How, how might we look after Jesus' house and seek the good of Jesus' people? Let me, let me throw out a few ideas, but let me also encourage you to, to talk with one another after the service. Maybe make this a subject of your conversation. How can we seek the good of Jesus' house together? Well, first, this psalm teaches us that we should pray for the peace of Jesus' house, doesn't it? Pray for the safety and security, physically, but especially spiritually, of Jesus' people. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray for your companions. Pray through the, the membership directory that you got. Or pick one up on your way out. Let's pray for one another. Um, pray that we as individual Christians and as a church family are protected by the attacks of Satan uh, and by the world. Pray that we remain at peace with one another from within. We want peace within our walls. Pray for the elders to have unity. Uh, pray for your small group or your community group to have unity. Uh, pray that we would keep our church covenant where we promised to work and pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, when members start focusing perhaps on, on minor issues, pray for wisdom and discernment as to how you can promote peace. Pray for peace where we might differ on politics and social policies. Pray for us to have conversations where we can uh, disagree without being divisive or disagreeable. Pray for peace and seek peace. Seek our church's security by being invested in members' meetings but especially in members' lives. Right? When we come to welcome new members into the life of our church, uh, share a meal with them. Get, get to know them. Uh, and encourage them. Come to our, our Sunday evening services where we pray about matters related to our church's family life together. And, and notice there at the end of verse 9, do you see that there? That David, he, he commits himself to seeking the good of God's people. How are you seeking the good of God's people, of Jesus house. Well, one way is to serve uh, Jesus' house, to serve God's people. Um, we need you to seek the good of 
Jesus' house by taking care of kids in nursery or teaching in Sunday school or engaging the youth about the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask them what they learn from the sermon or what they're learning about Jesus in their lives. Seek the good of, of Jesus' house by, by doing what you did this morning, by clearing snow uh, when the weather turns uh, to happier days, perhaps, when the sun comes out, by pulling weeds or cutting the grass, um, by raking leaves, uh, other things, trimming the bushes. Uh, seek the good of Jesus' house by, by being involved with the, the music, uh, the services here, by playing piano or singing or uh, leading a service or leading in prayer uh, for men, learning how to, to preach later tonight. Seek the good of, of Jesus' house by helping to collect the offering and count the resources that God, that God entrusts to us. Talk to our church treasurer about how you can serve there. Seek the good of Jesus' house by providing meals to families with little ones like the Smiths or to those who are perhaps sick and struggling. Uh, pray for them and encourage them. Seek the good of Jesus' house by, by welcoming visitors. Maybe purpose to plant yourself at that back entrance and just say, Hi, is this your first time here? Uh, can I show you around? Do you, do you need to know where the restrooms are? Your way through this strange building? I want, I want to help you out. Here's a, here's a bulletin. Here's a hymnal. Uh, be, be welcoming to the, the visitors who gather here. It, that's hospitable here, but also be hospitable in your, in your own homes as the Lord enables you. Welcome strangers into your own homes. Seek the good of, of Jesus' house by taking the initiative perhaps to, to partner with the elders to set up a, a women's fellowship or a, a men's fellowship together. We'd love to talk to you about that. There are, are dozens of ways that you could seek the good of Jesus' house here. And, and you ought to give yourself to it. Talk with one another afterwards about how you can perhaps seek the good of Jesus' house. And really, perhaps a, a big picture for, for us would be where you see a need you need to try and meet it. Where you see you need, try, try to meet it by God's grace. We want to look after the worship of God's house because of where we've been, where we've come, and where we're going. And this is where I want us to conclude. That's what I want us to think about as we conclude. If you can, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage on page 1009. Find Hebrews chapter 12. I want to begin reading in verse 22. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. The, the Psalms of Ascent, right? They're, um, they're Psalms of a pilgrim journeying to Jerusalem, being on the way. And the destination of the pilgrims who first sang Psalm 122 was the earthly Jerusalem. But they, they hoped for even more. Right? As Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10 says, that they were looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose builder is God. They were looking forward to going to that city and they also had hopes beyond that city. And as we gather, we too are seeking a heavenly city. As we read this portion of the letter to the Hebrews, notice the language of approach, of, of pilgrimage, of, of movement, of, of coming, of travel. Notice the language of coming really to the heavenly Jerusalem. If you've come to Jesus, the writer to the Hebrews will say, you have come to this place. Pick up reading there in verse 22 of Hebrews 12. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of of Abel. 
I'll just stop there. Do you hear what the, the writer to the Hebrews is saying? What he's saying about new covenant believers in Jesus. He says that you've come to the worship of the living God in the heavenly Jerusalem. Christian, do you realize that today your feet have been standing within the gates of the heavenly Jerusalem? We look forward to the worship of God each Lord's Day because when we gather for the worship of Christ on earth, we add our voices to the worship of Christ in heaven. We want to look after, to pray for, to protect, promote the worship of Christ on earth so that through our gatherings each Lord's Day, we are prepared when we fully and finally join in the worship of Christ in heaven. As we'll sing in just a moment, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, God grant that I may see thine endless joy and of the same partaker ever be. Until the Lord Jesus calls you home, look forward to the worship of God with His people and look after the worship of God here on earth until your faith is turned aside.